Almighty Father, as we come now to your word, uh, it is our desire that you would speak. Um, we ask that you would um, grant us ears to hear your truth, uh, make yourself clear. Um, we're going to talk about some things that, that, uh, that, that we don't talk about every day. And we ask that you would, um, you're a good communicator, Father, so communicate to us by your spirit, through your word, and make Jesus very, very clear to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat, friends, and uh, please turn back to pages 8 and 9, that story. Um, We are continuing a series looking at this story every single week. We're taking a different aspect of this story and zooming in on it and trying to discover um, what this story teaches us about Jesus' work of transformation in our lives as Christians and uh, also what it teaches about uh, the mission that Jesus sends us on. And today, we're going to talk about temples quite a lot, which is riveting, I know. Um, uh, The reason we're going to talk about uh, temples is that in this conversation between this Samaritan woman and Jesus, uh, the Samaritan woman, right in the middle of the conversation, brings up the, the topic of temples. And it's a little bit of a funny thing. As I've been looking at this story, uh, the longer, I, the more time I spend with this story, the more respect I have for this Samaritan woman. Uh, she is sharp. She is witty. She's insightful. She's bold. She's courageous. I think she's probably, I can't think of a better conversation partner for Jesus that's recorded anywhere in the Gospels than this woman. And therefore, the longer I spend looking at this story, the more respect I have for her, the more I think, if this woman thinks the temples are worth discussing, then who are we to skip over it? So we're going to talk about temples. But there's another reason. When she brings up this, what to us seems like this obscure topic of temples, she brings up this topic, and Jesus, so to speak, honors this implied question that she has has about temples that we'll look at. He honors this question with a remarkable dignity. Because as he answers this implied question about temples, what he does is he ends up unveiling his identity. He unveils himself as the Messiah more clearly, more explicitly than he does almost anywhere else. If you read through the Gospels, one of the things that's surprising but very, very common is that when people ask Jesus, are are you the Messiah, he he regularly kind of deflects that question. He rarely answers it head on, but here he volunteers that he's the Messiah. Now, I think that's fascinating. And in order for us to understand that dynamic, we need to talk a lot about temples and give a whole bunch of background on that. So that's what we're going to do today, okay? So get ready. We're going to talk about temples. It's going to be great. And as we do that, keep in mind the two big questions that's just hanging in the background of this series, which is, what do we learn about transformation? And what do we learn about mission? And we'll come back to those questions at the end, okay? All right, let's jump in. First of all, well, let's review the conversation briefly. I'm not going to go into it in great detail because you can listen to previous sermons. Um, 
Jesus and his disciples, they were on a road trip. They're heading from the south of Palestine to the north of Palestine. In order to do that, the most direct route was through this place called Samaria, modern-day West Bank. And uh, on the road trip, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they get hungry, get, they get thirsty, and they get tired. So they pull off the road. Uh, they stop. Jesus hangs out at a, at a well outside a town. The disciples go in to get some lunch. Jesus is sitting there at the well. And there's, uh, the only other person there is this Samaritan woman. And so she comes. And, and Jesus engages her with this really fascinating conversation. And at first, Jesus just asks her for a drink. She says, he's just, can I, can I have a drink? And she goes really suspicious because that was weird to ask for a drink because men didn't talk to women and Jews certainly didn't talk to Samaritans. So immediately her guard is up. Uh, she's uh, suspicious and defensive. But then the conversation starts rolling. Jesus talks about living water, which she thinks for a while is running water. That gets her attention. There's a little bit of almost lighthearted banter with eternal consequences that goes on between them for a little while. And then it goes awkward. Then it goes just super awkward. And that was last week. Jesus abruptly brings up her relationship history and ends up she's had five husbands. And the man that she's with presently uh, is not her husband and it just gets super painful and you can just feel the shame and distress and the just the awkwardness of that moment we talked about that last week but then and this is where we're going to start to zoom in this, what's very interesting about this woman is despite the awkward despite the fact that Jesus has just brought up some of her uh, worst shame, pain, history. Despite all that, she doesn't check out. I might check out, but she doesn't. She doesn't run away. She doesn't even shut down the conversation. What she does instead is she turns the tables on Jesus and she starts asking the questions. She lobs back this question at Jesus. Look at verse 19. The woman says this, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet understatement. And then the implied question, and, and this, this is where we're going to spend a lot of time. Our fathers, meaning the Samaritans, worshipped on this mountain. Now, if you go to that well today, which you can go to, you should all go to it. It's really interesting. Um, you, towering right beside the well is Mount Gerizim, and that's where the Samaritans had their temple. It's where they worshipped. They still do. There's 800 of them left, and they worship there to this day. They worship on Mount Gerizim. Continuing, but you say, you Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship, because in Jerusalem was the Jewish temple. Now, pause here. A lot of people read this text, a lot of commentators read this text, and say, ah, all this is, is she felt awkward about her relationship history coming up, and therefore she just tries to make a diversion. And she goes, hey, look, there's a temple. Let's talk about that. Okay. Now, a lot of people think that she was just bringing up an arcane theological debate between the Jews and the Samaritans to just create a diversion. I don't, I don't think that's right. I think the problem is that this woman is actually sharper than a lot of readers. I don't think she's trying to distract Jesus, because whenever people try to distract Jesus, he doesn't go for it but he actually follows her line 
thought here. And later on, she goes into the town, and she actually tells the whole town, hey, this guy knows all about my history. So she's not trying to hide from her history. It seems to me that what happens is she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. I re she realizes that she's got FaceTime with a legitimate, real prophet, and she basically says, hey, I'm not going to waste this opportunity. Let's get down to the really, really important stuff. Let's deal with the temple. Where's the real temple? Jesus. Now, I realize that we don't talk about temples today, right? And so therefore, here's what I want to do. I want to pause here, back up. We're going to talk about just temples in general for a few minutes, and then we're going to come back. Does that sound okay? Well, we're going to do it anyway. So let's do it. Okay, so um, in the ancient Near East, ancient Middle East, um, everybody built temples, and everybody used temples. Uh, pagans, Jews, everybody did. And temples in the ancient Near East, they weren't like our church. So this church that we are in right now is a building primarily uh, designed to facilitate people meeting together. It, it, it's designed for exactly what we're doing, for people to come in, sit down, uh, interact with each other. Downstairs, there's space for coffee hour, which we're all going to enjoy later on, that kind of stuff. It's meant for this, interaction between people gathered around Jesus. But that is not how ancient temples work. They were different. A temple was all about gaining access to the gods. So think of it in a pagan context, uh, first of all. Um, you, if you're a pagan, you, uh, you might want access to the gods for, for all kinds of reasons. Um, you might want access to really good things like truth and transcendence and meaning. But you also, more, perhaps more likely, you want access to control, power, success. And you, you want access to these things, and you know, if you're a good pagan, that the gods have these things. And therefore, you go to the temple, and you do the right rituals in the right way at the right time and in the right place, and who knows? It might work. You, you might gain access to the gods. They might give you what you want. It might be great. Now, that's pagan temple worship. The biblical uh, Jewish Old Testament temple worked differently. In pagan religion, you built a temple in order to gain access to the gods, and in order, in particular, to gain the gods' favor. But the Lord's temple, by that I mean the Old Testament Hebrew temple, uh, turns that around in a really profound way. The biblical temple was the Lord's gift to Israel, not Israel's gift to the Lord. The Lord wanted to give access to Israel. He wanted Israel to be able to access himself. And this theme goes right back to the very beginning of the Bible. Do you remember uh, the Garden of Eden? Right at the beginning in Genesis? Um, don't have time to look at it in detail right now, but... Um, Genesis describes the Garden of Eden not just as a garden, but it also uses temple language. It kind of fuses together garden language and temple language. And part of the idea there is that God created the world in the very beginning in order to be a kind of temple. The whole thing was to be a temple, a, a place where uh, God and humanity would have unfettered access to one another, unfettered access of trust and love and relationship. That was the original design of the whole world. It, it was all meant to be a temple. But then, if you know the 
story, how it unfolds in Genesis and in the rest of the Bible, um, what happens is humanity rejects God's temple, rejects access to God. However, what happens is humanity gets expelled from the temple, that is, from the garden. But even then, even though humanity has rejected God and rejected God's temple, it's almost like all of us humans um, can't shake this deep desire to get back in. We may not name God as God, but there's something in us we feel outside, and we really, really want to get inside. And sometimes we don't even know what it is that we want to get access to, but we want something. Now, that's part of the biblical explanation of of the whole phenomenon of pagan temple worship. Because you don't have to know anything about God to have this deep desire to gain access. And therefore, this deep desire to gain access to I don't even know for sure what drives us to do expend all kinds of energy in building temples to whatever it is that we call God. We want access. We're outside. We wish we were in. Now, I realize, again, once again, we don't, we don't talk that way. We don't think that way. We don't think about temples. And in uh, a modern Western culture, we don't even think about the getting, gaining access to God is, is all that uh, existentially important to us. However, however, I'm not sure we're all that different. Let me repeat the logic of a pagan temple and just see if it sounds familiar at all. People come to New York City for many reasons. We want access to wonderful things like truth and transcendence and meaning. Or very often, we want access to things like success and fame and power. We want access to these things. And we know that the the gods of this city are the ones that have them, right? And so what do we do? Well, we go to Manhattan, maybe. And it's almost like something inside us says, if we do the right rituals in the right way, at the right time, and in the right place, who knows? It might happen. We might get in. It might work. Now, I'm sort of playing, but not entirely. I mean, even the architecture in this city hints at temples. Next time you go into the Metropolitan Museum of Art, you you walk in there and you tell me that that's not built like a temple. It's built like a temple. Even our library. Have you been in the Bryant Park Library? Even our library is built like a temple and it's got a holy of holies. It's called the Rose Reading Room. I love it. You should all go. It's my office. Anyways. But so are the corporate towers in Midtown, aren't they? If only I had a job there, I'd have access to something that we want. The universities are built that way. Get into this university. And sometimes it's, as much, it's just as important to get in as it is to get out. Access. We all come here to this exclusive island seeking access to something that's bigger than ourselves. And let me pause just to ask you the question, what is it? that you are seeking access to in life? And if you can't answer that question, then you might not know yourself very well yet. All right. 
That's just background. Let's come, let's come back to the Samaritan woman. Because she knows very deeply that she's on the outside and she knows that she needs to be on the inside. And she also knows, because her own Samaritan background tells her, that the Lord and the God of Israel gave Israel a very special temple. And it was special because the Lord promised that he would meet Israel in this special temple. Um, the Lord made that promise when he, the Lord rescued Israel out of Egypt. The Lord rescued Israel out of Egypt, and then the Lord introduced himself to Israel. And one of the ways he did that is he said, uh, Israel, I want you to call me by a, a unique name. Call me I Am. And then I want you to build a tabernacle and a temple. I'll tell you how to build it, said the Lord, and... Exodus. And I promise I'll meet you there. I promise I'll meet you there, says the Lord in Exodus, not just to give you a bunch of the stuff that you want. I'm going to take care of you anyway, but it's more than that. I will, I will meet you at the temple because I love you and I want you to love me too. And we're going to meet at the temple and that relationship is going to begin at the temple. And it was a very different kind of temple than a pagan temple. However, even with this temple of Israel in the Old Testament, there was still a problem. And the problem was a kind of planned obsolescence. It was limited. It could only give you so far. It could give you some access to God, but not full access to God. And it was ultimately temporary. The, the, the Old Testament temple um, always said, come close to the Lord, but you can't come too close. And the reason you can't come too close is that there's still a brokenness in our relationship between God and humanity, and that hasn't entirely been healed yet, and not even this better temple can heal it fully. And the Samaritan woman feels the bite of that broken relationship. But then there was more, because hundreds of years before this, as, uh, as Israel's national life began to crumble, the Samaritans broke away from the mainline uh, Jewish community, and they ended up having two rival temples, and therefore nobody knew where the right one was anymore, and nobody knew how to get and gain access to the Lord who was seeking them. And thus the question. She knows what she's talking about when she asks this question. Where's the real temple? How do I gain access? I want to know God. Where can I meet him? It's precisely the right question. And watch that Jesus loves the question. He loves the temple question because he knows that underneath is the deeper question, how do I gain access to God? And that's the question that Jesus came to answer. And this is where, in his response to her, he sort of unveils himself in front of her. And he unveils himself more explicitly than he does almost anywhere else. Watch how he does it. I'm going to look at verse 21. I'm going to kind of paraphrase because we're going to deal with the details next week. Jesus says in verse 21, basically, listen, the Jews are more right than the Samaritans. But he almost says that doesn't, add, that doesn't settle the matter. He says, the time has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. One of the things he's saying there is the temple was great, but it was never forever. There's been a change of plans. He looks at her and he says, you were designed to have full access to God, full access to the spirit. That was the plan in the garden. That's the gift that God desires to give you now. We're going to go into more detail about that next week. But it's clear that she doesn't entirely understand it. And so she says 
she makes this wonderful observation. She says, when Messiah comes, then, I'll, then he'll explain it. We'll understand it. And Jesus responds with his sweet kindness. And he looks at her. And I imagine he smiled and he says, I who am speaking to you am he. He almost never does that. He says, I am the Messiah. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one that's going to make it clear. But then he also says something else. Jesus is a master of evocative language. He, he, he regularly says something in a way that suggests more than what initially it seems. I know that's confusing, but look back at what he says. He says, when he says, I, the one who am speaking to you, am he, in the original, the way he phrases it is he says, looks at her and he says, I am who is speaking to you. Do you remember the Lord's name? Call me by the unique name. I am. I'll meet you at the temple. I am. And all through the rest of the Gospel of John, Jesus uses this name, I am, to uh, point to how he and the Father are one. And so here, why is it important? It's super important because this woman thought that she was talking to a prophet and that that was pretty good, but she wished that she could talk to the Messiah. And it ends up that she was talking to a prophet, but more than a prophet. She was talking to the Messiah, but not just the Messiah. She, it ends up that she was face to face with the Lord whom she desired. It ends up that she desired access to God, and that Lord was in that moment seeking her out. It ends up that she didn't have to achieve access to God, but rather the Lord had achieved access to her. And this is part of the great gift of Jesus Christ. Because in a wonderful way, Jesus takes the whole concept of temple, and at the same time, on the one hand, he turns it on its head, and on the other hand, he fulfills its deepest function. Because instead of being a temple where you have to go there and travel there and do everything right and you hope it works. Rather, what the Lord has decided is the Lord has decided to become his own temple for us in Jesus Christ. Do you catch that? Jesus is the, he's the new and he's the greater temple. And you say, hang on, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what it says right there. Ah, but it is. Just two chapters before this, in John chapter 2, Jesus goes into the temple in Jerusalem. He sees all the corruption. He starts flipping over tables, literally, and driving out uh, corrupt business people. And then he says this, tear this temple down and I'll build it in three days. And people are like, what? And then it says he wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about his body. Jesus is the temple. What that means is that Jesus came to give us the access to God that we desire but can never achieve. And he's better than the old temple because when he died on the cross, he did all the right things in just the right place at just the right time, and it worked. And when he died, the relationship that was broken between God and humanity was set right. And that means that we have full access to God as our Father. And he's also better than the old temple 
because he's a temple who seeks out people. Instead of us seeking the temple, the temple seeks us. Are you aware that the Lord seeks you? That he pursues you? All right. Let's bring this all around to, our, to the two questions that have kind of hung in the background. What do we learn about transformation? What do we learn about mission? And to address those questions, let me ask you a question I asked earlier. What kind of access are you seeking in life? If you can't answer that question, you might not know yourself very well yet. And if you move to this city for your career, let me ask you this question. What were you seeking when you moved here? And how is it treating you? Let me give you an example. Um, I just finished a PhD. Um, and uh, I, I did it for a bunch of reasons, some good, some bad. Um, partially, I wanted to get access uh, to the smart kid table. Um, if you knew my background, um, I have some reason to have wanted that. I can tell you that story some other time. But here's the thing. I get the PhD. And I sit down at the smart kid table. And you know what? It's fine. <laughs> it's not quite as good as it looked when I was in elementary school and I was in the, the other, anyways. It's fine, but it's lousy at filling my deepest desires. Just lousy. Ends up in the same guy before the PhD is after. Snap. Now, part of my transformation, part of Jesus' work of transformation in my life is to bring me to a place where whatever it is that I really want access to in life that really motivates me and drives me, I have to learn to receive that by grace from Jesus. Jesus gives me the access to God that really satisfies. And here's the thing. The more I believe that, the more I can rest in that, the more confident I am that Jesus is my temple and I don't have to build a new one, the more I can pursue the other things in life, good things, safely. The more serene and secure I am that Jesus is my temple, the more freely I can pursue whatever it might be, career, uh, academics, relationships, whatever it might be, the more I can pursue those things without those things defining who I am. And without those things becoming my slave master. And that's part of Christian transformation. But it also impacts mission. Because here's the crazy thing. The more confident we are that Jesus is our temple, the more you will become a beacon of hope in your community. Because what will happen is that the people around you will be able to look at you and they'll watch you pursue, for instance, work. Or whatever it is, you know, insert existential driving pursuit here. Um, they'll watch you pursue those things, but they'll also watch that you can pursue them safely without those things defining you, that you're defined by your access through Christ to God as your Father. And the more they see that happen in your life, it'll be a beacon of hope for them because they'll be enslaved by the temples they're trying to build. And as that, happen, in a, as that happens in a remarkable turn, Jesus will shape you to be a, like a little temple, a little place where people around you can meet you and find Jesus and find the real access that they're seeking. 
It's crucial both to our transformation and our mission. And we'll do more details next week. Amen? Yes. Amen.